has happened sometime. I had a good friend reach out to me and ask me a question that led to an interesting conversation that led to this podcast episode. So who was that friend? Good friend of mine from Owas named Buanzo. Well, at least that's how I've always known him. And he has an interesting idea about the security around web crawlers. And I thought this was most, in, well, besides just being quite interesting, I thought this was very timely given the fact that AI needs data and that data is generally gathered by web crawlers. So this seemed like a perfect time to talk about this. So please enjoy this episode, the OWASP podcast. Hi, we're back with the OWASP podcast. It's Matt Tassaro, and I have the great pleasure of reconnecting with a friend of mine from OWASP from a while, quite a while ago, Juanzo. Juanzo from Argentina. For the folks who don't know you, Juanzo, can you give a quick background? What's the history? What's the story of Juanzo? Oh my God. Hey, Matt, it's so good to be here for everyone out there. I'm almost 42 years old. I'm from Argentina. I've been coding since I was eight years old or something. I've been into telecommunications since 1994, something like it. And I got into cybersecurity very early on by finding problems in the code of my own code, C language in Linux, while creating a BBS software. So this was right before the internet started getting big, you know, so well. That's it. I'm an open source guy, a programmer, and a, and a crazy guy, I think. But, you know, try to be good. Yeah. Well, and, and I met you through OWASP. You were doing, a, at the time, I think, something that was far, far early for the, the market to actually even understand what it was. But I loved your idea of doing the PGP signing of the HTTP request response pairs. That It was a Apache module, if I remember correctly. Yes, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Actually, if you go ask some AI module, and I don't want to say any brands now, but let me know if I can do it. And I asked, hey, are you aware of this and this? And it says, yes, and that project was way before its time and blah, blah. So it's the same that you're saying. And I, I now understand it. I thought I was just having a, a silly idea and, and nobody liked it. But yeah, always at that moment understood what was going on and they thought it was innovative. And they supported me. So, yes, uh, I, I think the last time we met, it was in 2009, 2008 at the OWASP Summit in Portugal. Yep, that was it. And that's it. Well, a long time ago, Enigform, that, that was it. We had a Firefox add-on, a WordPress plugin, and an Apache module. And the idea was that you could sign HTTP requests, certain elements of an HTTP request. Like maybe it, today it happens for the KIM, things like that in email, but for HTTP. And today it's still alive, the project, but instead of using any form like the way it was, I just apply OpenPGP at a user level. So I have a, a Python library that you can use to send signed and encrypted uh, requests to an API endpoint that understands how to decrypt and verify that. So it is pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, still alive. There are all the things that of course implemented um, cryptography on top of uh, HTTP for different reasons. I always disliked the certificate authority model, hierarchical, you know, but yeah, OpenPGP with the web of trust thing that it has, it, 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 it was great, but still, even today, PGP is something that only a, a subgroup inside 
this uh, IT world uses. So, well, difficult. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, I, I know you've had more than one good idea since then, but the, the one that we're going to talk about today was super interesting. You, you pinged me about this and I thought, oh, it was one thing that it's, I, I don't know, to me, a mark of a really good idea is when you see it, it feels so obvious, but you also realize I probably never would have thought of it, right? <laughs> and when you gave me this idea, you're like, hey, I'm thinking about this. I went, oh, oh, wow, that is so cool. Yes, that seems great. So <laughs> I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. Let, let, you sent me a thing that said detecting vulnerable crawlers through malicious site map honeypots. So why don't you give the 10,000 foot overview of that for our audience? Because I just, I love that idea. And maybe where it came from, how did you come up with this? Oh, well, I was calling a crawler. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I said, Hey, I'm trusting that data, which of course I shouldn't trust because it, you know, sitemaps, I'm, I'm writing a crawler that works on sitemaps. And I said, well, you, you have to always, always not trust data. And I said, well, this is a, a, an attack vector that I haven't seen in the wild because there, there's obvious, there's a clear situation. You, you, you have a sitemap because you want crawlers to understand what kind of content they can get from your site, et cetera. So you, you always have good data on your sitemap, but what happens if you have a malicious attacker or, or whatever, and they start to insert malicious, uh, properly crafted data on, on your sitemap and a crawler that is not secure by default, you know, maybe you can execute code or, or whatever. So I said, it would be nice to have an idea of how many, how many problems are there in crawler land. So I say, well, that's the kind of thing that always would maybe could lend its amazing reputation to. So I said, let's write this down and, and send it over. Here we are. Yeah, so I, I just love that. And the thing that really made me, well, why it's so timely, let's put it that way, right? Because you mentioned it earlier, like AI, ChatGPT, all the different models that are out there, Llama and yada, yada, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a hot topic. Well, one of the things you need for this AI is data, right? Yes. And how are they getting the data? They are scraping the web, right? Mm. So <laughs> this is, I mean, it's like so timely. It's perfect. So. Presuming this comes to fruition with OWASP and you've got a project and it's going, what are the goals of it? And what are your objectives? How are you thinking of making this work? Can you kind of talk through your thought process there? Well, what I thought is that OWASP, because it has a great reputation, if, if someone else comes and, and, and says, hey, I'm going to build sitemaps that are malicious by default and just, you know, put them on websites for, and see if I ever find a crawler, it's going to probably look like a cyber criminal. So I said, no, 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 no. Let, let, let's try to get OWASP under there, have a central location where people can register their really bad websites, you know, and bad, I mean, malicious in, in the case of the sitemap where we're trying to find. And that's the, the only way it could work. I mean, be, because what we need is not to have one evil, let's say, call it evil. I'm, I'm using air quotes, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is all the only, let, let's just do it and see what happens. No, we, we need to find a way to organize this in such a way that collaborators can upload their, register their websites on an OWASP project page. So when they put them um, proper, by proper, I mean, you, you know, not so malicious kind of malicious data on their sitemaps, the execution could say, hey, go to this OWASP website, 
this is something that is not bad. We just found that your crawler is vulnerable and just, just go ahead and let us know and we'll try to work with you or whatever. Uh, I mean, nobody thinks about crawlers except for blocking them if they're too uh, intensive on your website or if they don't follow robots.txt guidelines or whatever. But yeah, that, that's it. It's, it's not really complicated. I, what I'd like to know is if, do we have vulnerable crawlers all over the internet? And could they be maybe uh, it, someone using this? We didn't find it. In the realm of cybersecurity, information is king and uh, being aware of what's going on, it's a way to move forward uh, with security. So we need to know about this, or maybe I need to know about this. I don't know. But I think that if you found it interesting, that that means the right track, maybe. Oh, definitely. I'm fascinated by this idea because I think it would, I think a lot of people, like you said, crawlers are like, excluding the, obviously the search engine crawlers have proper teams, presumably writing proper code, although we don't know this. We will know. Yeah. <laughs> There's enough people that do things like, I want to get the latest cool Nike shoes and I'm going to write a crawler to... I kind of doubt that that goes through rigorous quality engineering checks, right? So I think getting an idea of, if nothing else, like these are the edge cases as a crawler writer you need to look out for is a huge thing. Because I would imagine like the traditional XML attacks, the thousand smiles, the XXE, right? All those kind of things are going to probably work with some crawlers that aren't well written, right? So... I think this could be a very fruitful exercise and I'm very curious. Have you, here's a random thought that just popped into my head. It would be interesting to ask, say, chat GPT, write me a crawler and then take that code and pull a malicious sitemap and see what happens, right? Absolutely. In fact, uh, it happened to me <laughs> because I said, hey, I think that function that you just gave me, it's really really trusting the data and you shouldn't. And it was like, oh my God, you're, you're, you're correct, Artura. Me as an artificial intelligence should know better. <laughs> but well, from, from then on, ChatGPT supports, you know, having custom instructions. So I said, if you give me a code snippet, make sure you think about cybersecurity. And, and now it, it, it works better, but by default, and think about this, there, there are lots of tutorials out there for programming that are full of holes full of issues and vulnerabilities. So imagine what's going to happen with ChatGPT that people just can ask for whatever they want and it, they're, they're going to get some vulnerable software. Yeah, it's automating the copy-paste out of Stack Exchange. Yes, it's, it's, it's sexier copy-paste. So what about, I, I can see people pushing back on you and saying that by creating this awareness around the fact that you could have maliciousness in sitemaps, you're actually sort of loading the gun of the attacker. No, I, I don't believe in security through obscurity, my friend. If I discover a problem, I mean, if I could find a vulnerable crawler by myself and then report it to the company, well, I should get paid for that because it's my time and it's their product or whatever. But do I have to go to every single company? I, I, I'm, not a kind, I'm not a bounty kind of guy. I mean, I, I support bounties. I've been trying to push for bounties in the Argentine government for a long time, but you know, because we don't have resources to pay out. We think, okay, let, let's do it, but maybe give a small tax exemption or maybe prioritize the service if you need to do some, get some papers or whatever. I don't know. Let's give something back to the community. 
and have an organized bounty program. But you know, I'm not that kind of guy. So loading the gun, I mean, everyone is loading guns. I mean, everybody drives a car and a car is a big, huge, non-firing gun. And they need a, you, you know, you, you, need, you need to get a license to drive it because you have a killing machine in your hand. So if you, if you want to compare a malicious crawler with, a, with an actual gun, we can go ahead and do it. But nothing's going to stop the fact that it's there and it happens. I mean, I have another attack that I've never discussed. I'm going to be talking about it in Echo Party Security Conference nice. in November in Argentina. And, and this is something I, I published in 2600 magazine like two, three years ago, and nobody caught on it. It's not the topic of this, this podcast, but it's, it's another extremely simple idea. And I'm pretty sure people might be using it. And I don't know if, if you want me. Most, I used to do pen testing and most of my, I mean, it's kind of a sad fact of pen testing, but most of my very productive pen tests were stupid stuff that just went really far and it shouldn't have. Right. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm super curious. Disclose what you want without, you know, stepping on your talk. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Imagine that you're a really lazy or sysadmin, or maybe you're just a customer for a cheap hosting company or whatever. And you end up with your access logs published and indexed. An attacker could use the, the possibility of having information appear on those access logs just by creating requests. So I could create a, I have a writing mechanism, universal writing mechanism that could be used maybe to control a botnet without having a central location. And that information could be just replicated because it's indexed. Okay. If that one dies because the administrator or the hosting company or whatever found it, then I'll just find another access log and then I can write information and then search for it directly or indirectly through the search engine or whatever. So yeah, my, my talk is going to be about how this tool that I'm calling log drop could get around that, that situation, you know, and I'm going to show it by something, by, by this malicious idea of having a botnet that has no central command and control server. That's super interesting. I mean, you could even, you don't even have to necessarily leverage somebody else's infrastructure. You could inadvertently have a dumbly run VM up on a cloud hoster and just be surprised. Oh my goodness, that my access logs are available. I had no idea. Wink, wink. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And imagine if you just use Tor on top of it. That's super interesting. Well, that's funny because I've done a lot of digging around in logs. I've, I've been a sysadmin at times and, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I look around and flip over rugs and see what's under them. And I've noticed some random data in HTTP logs. That we like, why is it this is here. here? This does not make sense. Yeah. I mean, Matt, log injection has been a thing for many years now, but using it because of a small misconfiguration, which is by the way, still one of the top items in every single cybersecurity list. And this is a gross misconfiguration. Just having your access logs around just one single Google talk. It's so simple. So simple. I mean, I used to leave messages for the administrator if I couldn't find a contact or a master or whatever. Just, hey, we found this issue, please fix it and try to find a way for, for that to appear in the log analysis, <laughs> you know, whatever tool you were using at that time. Oh, that's interesting. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> thinking about what other attacks now. <laughs> well, no, that's, and it's, it's funny though, but it's these simple little things that yeah. don't, you know, that aren't exciting. 
like I, I try to think of a, a way to say this without disclosing, you know, NDA information. Absolutely. Uh, so in one of my pen tests, I got tens of thousands of PII and I chained together what, if you reported them in isolation, would have been probably four, let's say five low level severity findings. But because each one got me a little bit more something, suddenly I had this ridiculous amount of PII, right? And so mm -hmm. it's one of the interesting aspects too of just cybersecurity in general, right? Because this thing in isolation may seem unimportant, but is actually very important well, because of the context. Yeah, well, once I heard the, because I work in government, once I heard a, an, an intelligence community guy talking about how when um, you have one piece of data, it's just a trace data that is not really useful, but once you compile many pieces of data, what you have is a database. And that totally makes sense. It, it, it always is, you know, around, about this, the scale of what you're doing. I mean, a big leak of a company that, you know, maybe a hundred user password combinations or another PII, but if you have 10 million, 20 million in PII says that's complicated. And, and that actually happened in Argentina. I mean, now, now the government is trying to have a, with another countries, have a financial data between two or more countries. And I'm saying, Hey, we can protect our own data. It's not a good idea to do this because if by any reason, some of that leads, you're getting into an international situation. So yes, you know, even the small things you, you have to be very careful. That has been something for the like younger audience who haven't had, you know, the depth of experience in cybersecurity, that context, that where that thing occurs is just so important. Um, cause I've had the inverse too. I've had really bad in isolation, really bad findings of unimportant systems be unimportant. If I can SQL inject the thing that I don't know, opens up the dog flap on your back porch to let your dog out, that's kind of irritating. But honestly, but if I can SQL inject and like take money out of your bank account, that's important. So it, yeah. it's been interesting to me to, when I first started in this business, I was much more excited by the nature of the vulnerability, not where that vulnerability was found. And if I could give any advice to the people, you know, coming into this field, and I hope there's a bunch of them because there's all sorts of work is not only get excited by what you found, but where you found it. Absolutely. That, that, that makes the entire difference because that, that's one of the, the few ways that people notice. And, and that's extremely sad about our industry. It, it sometimes it feels like only us worry about that, that only us care about it. So yes, you know, because I work in government and I've said that many times, we don't have many resources. So my cybersecurity team at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, it's three people, only three people. And I, and it was only one people and that's me for, for three years or so. And now I have a, a dedicated pen tester and I have a, a wonderful analyst next to me and we can do many things, but at the same time, what really worked has always been awareness. One day I went to haveibeenpwned.com and, and searched for every single email account that got compromised for our people. And, and then I called every single one of them. Uh, it took me like a week and I called every single one of them and explained why this is important and how it happened. And I said, but you're calling me and, and I have no important data. And I said, of course, we, we have your identity now. I mean, someone can just use it. 
but I'm a low level employee. Oh yeah. Well, low level employees are what you want to get because they don't care. So even if their account gets compromised for any particular reason, nobody will notice until something happens. So you need to be on top of that, even if you don't care. For dri driving a car is a gun and you need a license to drive it. Do they have in a smartphone? Do, do we need licenses to own a smartphone and use it correctly? Are we going to end up with something like that in the future because of the huge problem this is? I mean, if, if you talk with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, they're going to show you lots of things that are wrong, wrongly thought by politicians because they just don't get it. I mean, they get a lot of other things. Diplomats are extremely intelligent people, but do they have a, a reason to care and understand cybersecurity from that perspective? Not really, but we need to work on that all the time, all the time. And always, it's a big part of doing that. It's an interesting thing where I'm kind of speaking tongue in cheek here a little bit humorly or using humor, but it seems like you have to have a terrible event to give you yes. that religion about cybersecurity. And it, it's such a shame. It is. I mean, I, we've been losing data from citizens for a long time. Nobody cares. Some citizens care. Well, we, we can start caring for once. You know, it is real sad. I, I think some people in the, in some, I don't want to talk politics. Sorry. No. I, I'm going to yeah. backpedal on that comment. But yeah, I, I've been close to politicians that understood what having an extremely knowledgeable security conscious individual in their teams means what they, it can do for them. And I'm not talking about them hiring an evil hacker or something like it. I'm talking about defense and understanding what's going on, where efforts need to be put. And today what we have is just, you know, an, an, a central directorate for cybersecurity that just translates vulnerabilities, alerts and stuff. And then they push the local version of the CSF framework from NIST. And that's great. That's wonderful. But we're not getting resources, support, a way to talk with each other. And we have to do that ad hoc in other ways, like creating a, a chat group. By the way, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say hello to everyone from the cybersecurity group, the national cybersecurity chat group that I, that I run. Nice. Because it, it, it's the only way we can sometimes fix stuff and be aware of stuff. And then that's it. That's it. That's what we can do. They have an issue and we talk about it right there. I think to me, that was one of the things that drew me into open source way back in my early days was because I was one of those people who cared and a lot Absolutely. of times getting budget was virtually impossible. But if I just needed a machine to do work, I could maybe get budget for that. And then I could put on that whatever I wanted, right? Because right. I was a sysadmin. So yes, it is interesting how that has changed. And I, I think, unfortunately, there is a growing awareness of the need to have some kind of cybersecurity thing, but it, it is a slow boil. It takes a long time. And, and unfortunately, I think we just need some younger people who grew up with this to yes. understand, Hey, you know, it already understand, Hey, this is an important thing, but it, yes. it takes work. I mean, it's, it's certainly yes. not a, a free thing. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, for instance, now there's an, there is an international discussion at diplomatic level on um, maybe finding a way, a legal way for a citizen from one country that travels to another country, and maybe they have a doubt about that kind of, that, that person's involvement with a, with a cyber crime, and they're working on finding a way for, hey, 
we have that guy that is traveling from country A to country B. Would you mind when he arrives in country B, just search his cell phone or whatever and ask him for whatever information we require, like the password for a server that we need to work on. Or, I don't know. And they, they, they want to do this in such a way that it's going to be terrible for anyone. I mean, they're trying to do the good thing by implementing really bad choices and, you know, global legislature and the UN is working on this. I came across that knowledge thanks to a, a friend at the, uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and, and, and I still can't believe that even my government is involved in that discussion. They're not, I mean, we all want cyber criminals to not be able to do their thing, but at the same time, are, are we going to give such intense powers? to another country or maybe one of our citizens or maybe just another random citizen from another random country, which is also covered by this law, that makes no sense. So even though governments are trying to work for cybersecurity, they still need the people that really understand what happens when you violate certain things in the realm of cybersecurity. Yeah, it, 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 it happens under the, well, can't we just X, right? Well. Yes. X is, is theoretically possible, but here's the wrinkles that actually the implementation. Yeah. 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 The implementation details that are going to be make all the difference that you have to consider. And there's, by the way, there's mm -hmm. not like one, there's 70 of them. And here's all these edge cases. And it, mm -hmm. it, you get down into the weeds. Unfortunately, it gets complicated. And, and, uh, and where those decisions happen is down in the weeds. Like where those decisions manifest is down in the weeds. Agreed. Agreed. So, well, it's still, we have a lot of work to do. That, that, that's pretty, pretty clear. But yes, we, we need to, for every single young people, that, uh, person that is listening to this podcast, if you have an interest in, in working in a corporate or governments or whatever and maintain a cybersecurity mentality, make sure you never forget about what we're talking on this podcast. It's really important for the future. We need you guys. We do, desperately. So there's, there's one thing I do in all of the, my podcasts. Sometimes I remember to warn my guests before they come on. And sometimes I forget, this is a case where I forgot. So I'm, I'm okay. bringing this on you, but you'll be okay. You're, you're a nimble okay. smart guy. I have a deck sing? of cards from oh. the, uh, from the base camp card company. I have free advertising for them, I guess. And they have random kind of conversation starters on them and I'm shuffling the deck. And I'm oh going to pull a God. card out of the deck and ask you a random, completely unrelated question. Oh, that sounds real fun. It, it has been fun, honestly. Like, I, I've, I've really enjoyed this, and I kind of did it on a whim. Ooh, okay, here we go. You're, you're, you got the uh, five of diamonds. Would you mm -hmm. rather explore space or the deep sea? Space, the final frontier. And I can't continue that. Yeah, when I was in high school, they used to call me Q. Uh, oh, funny. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, for everyone out there that, that is not a Trekkie, go and become a Trekkie. You'll be happier. But yes, I would rather explore space. And why is that? Because we are in the brink of humanity. If we don't get out of the planet, and we're going to be in a real bad situation in a couple of decades, I guess. So a little blink. <laughs> it is turning a little blink. But if but, I could, if I could do both, I would. Totally do both, but I would have to prioritize space. Space is super interesting too. I'm, I'm a, I read a lot of science fiction. Uh, oh, books, a like huge sci-fi fan. There are two, two, two books by Daniel Suarez, Daniel Suarez, 
called Delta B because, well, obviously that refers to pushing stuff in space. So it moves forward. But the second book in that series is extremely close to reality right now with blockchain and space mining and carbon monoxide and things like that and, you know, life on Earth. So if, if you can have some time to read it, I would suggest you do. Those two books, uh, pretty damn clear pictures what's going to happen in the next few years. Yeah, perfect. Because I, I do really like what I would call more of the, I don't know, hard science fiction or the, you know, like accurate. Like where, Seven Eves. Or like yeah, exactly. Like and I, I, like the Expanse series I loved because they mm. talked about the fact that you I'm have to like, them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to push <laughs> the rocket forward, then halfway flip and burn the opposite direction to slow down this thing because there's no friction. Like, Well, you're, you're going to love Delta B um, series. I mean, if Daniel Soros is listening to this podcast, and I know he was an information technology guy before mm. he became a full-time sci-fi writer, uh, I love you and I want to be on your books. That's it. Um, <laughs> and well, if Green Day is listening, I want to play with you guys. Anyway, let's do another thing. Oh, you want to do another one? Absolutely. I'll do a second I mean, one. What the heck? Here yeah, we go. Yeah. Sh uh, quick shuffle. Let's pull another one. As a cybersecurity guy, I would like to see how you shuffle. But you know, it's <laughs> oh, difficult <sorry>. for <laughs> it was It was off camera. Um, <laughs> oh, this is another fun one. It's the nine okay. of, nine of uh, diamonds. What is Ooh. the most surprising item in your bucket list? My bucket list? Which of those? I have many. It's your choice. Oh my God. The most exciting. I, I think I said it list. playing with Green Day, but, um, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'd really like to learn a couple more languages. I mean, this is, this is spoken human languages, not computer languages. I'm assuming. Yes. Human languages. I would love to learn Klingon and I already know a little bit of uh, German and French and obviously Spanish and English, uh, Italian, but I'd really like to know some of the more obscure complicated languages yeah i love languages and programming languages as well obviously but you know <laughs> my github right. account uh, my, my github account is mostly i think it's 99 percent python but well what can i say python's not a bad language man not at all a lot of cool stuff happening in python oh yes i love it i, I know it's problems and limitations but so far <laughs> i couldn't care less well, Alturo, this has been fantastic. I, I super appreciate Thank you, you so taking the time out of your schedule to come and, 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 and talk to us. And, and I wish you all the luck with that project. I can't imagine Thank a you. lot saying no to it. Um, I will certainly cheerlead for you uh, for what that's worth. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, it, you know, I stopped contributing regularly to Allwest many years ago. And I think that this project, uh, it, it's, it's a nice thing that it, it, it's getting me connected again with you guys and girls and everyone else like David Bowie would say. So yes, I'm very happy to be here. I, I thank you a lot, Matt, for all the kindness and friendship you've given me during these years. And for everyone out there, if you need a friend, OWASP always going to help you find more than one. OWASP for the win. Absolutely. Well, have a great rest of your day. Take care. You too, man. See you. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank Defect Dojo Inc. for making it possible for me to record this episode. Defect Dojo Inc. is a team of experienced technology and security professionals who build tools that actually provide peace of mind. 
They want all humans to sleep better knowing that their work is effective, their progress de-risked. Defect Dojo's flagship software offering is a security automation and vulnerability management platform that serves as a single source of truth. It can import results from more than 150 different security tools. It is a leader in the space with over 30 million downloads. Contact them at defectdojo.com for more information about their products and services.